and old order is passing away and a new order is coming into being. Every word, pause, and inflection from Martin Luther King Jr. is mesmerizing. I love all mankind. I love all of the children of the world. And to bring another generation up under war and bloodshed will be tragic. It's October 1967. Six months later, Martin Luther King Jr. will be assassinated. There will be times when you will be forced to stand amid the chilly winds of adversity, but go on with the faith that unmerited suffering is redemptive. This is From the Archives, a podcast from Iowa Public Radio featuring recently rediscovered historic audio from our archives. On this episode, Martin Luther King Jr. speaks at Grinnell College. We must struggle passionately to get rid of every aspect of racial injustice. King is well known as an advocate for civil rights, but in the late 1960s, he incorporates poverty, hunger, and war as part of his movement. In a nation that feels that it can stand alone in the world today is sleeping through a revolution. It's definitely a move away from the tone of I Have a Dream. Historian Christopher Tinson says most remember King from his famous 1963 speech, but this one isn't about dreaming. It's a very clever move to emphasize staying awake. This was King's attempt to really put teeth on this idea of social change. We must never allow our mentality to outrun our morality. He goes to great lengths to really say the future is bound up in one another. All life is interrelated. It's one that really crystallizes the latter phase of his career. Our loyalties must be ecumenical rather than sectional for the survival of mankind. Martin Luther King Jr. implores people to awake from the dream on this episode of Iowa Public Radio's From the Archives. I'm John Pimple. I need not pause to say how very delighted I am to be here today. In October 1967, Grinnell College holds a three-day convocation titled The Liberal Arts College in a World of Change. A convocation is an assembly. It can be a graduation ceremony or it can be a series of lectures for academics. And I know that this convocation experience has been a very rich and rewarding one for all of you. On the final day, the speaker is Martin Luther King Jr. I want to use as a subject from which to preach this morning remaining awake through a revolution. In the 1950s, King was a pastor at the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Alabama. It's where his work with civil rights began. Often when talking to an assembled group, he speaks in the form of a sermon. I would like to quote two or three passages from the 21st chapter of the book of Revelation. Reverend King cites selections from the Bible. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, 
I saw the new Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God. Former things are passed away, and behold, I make all things new. King says all too often during a period of social change, people refuse to develop new attitudes and mental outlooks that the new situation demands. And we notice something of a triple revolution. We notice on the one hand the technological revolution with the impact of automation and cybernetics. We notice a revolution in weaponry with the emergence of nuclear weapons of warfare. And we notice the revolution in human rights with the freedom explosion that has taken place all over the world. He says technology is bringing about a geographical oneness in part through transportation and communication breakthroughs. Now the problem is that although we have made of the world a neighborhood, we have not yet developed the ethical commitment to make of it a brotherhood. We must all learn to live together as brothers, or we will all perish together as foods. No individual can live alone. No nation can live alone. We are interdependent. He says everyone is in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be, and you can never be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. This is the interrelated structure of reality. King moves to a subject he is mostly known for, racial injustice. Anybody who lives by the racist creed is sleeping through a revolution. It is the notion that one race is superior to another race. And the ultimate logic of racism is genocide. Anyone who feels that the problem of racial injustice will work itself out is sleeping through a revolution. The Civil Rights Act of 1964 prohibits employment discrimination on the basis of race, color, religion, sex, or national origin. But King is part of a movement to expand it to include prohibiting discrimination in selling, renting, or financing housing. It may be true that morality cannot be legislated, but behavior can be regulated. It may be true that the law can change the heart, but it can restrain the heartless. It may be true that the law can't make a man love me, but it can restrain him from lynching me, and I think that's pretty important also. So while the law may not change the hearts of men, it does change the habits of men. King is also opposed to the war in Vietnam. Three months prior, the United States doubled the number of military deployed to fight. Those who tell me I shouldn't speak out against war in general and the war in Vietnam in particular fail to realize 
That is one thing to work for integrated schools and integrated public accommodations, but it would be rather foolish to be concerned about an integrated school and not be concerned about the survival of a world in which to be integrated. And I'm concerned about the survival of the world. I love all mankind. I love all of the children of the world. And to bring another generation up under ward and bloodshed will be tragic. And so I say that if modern man continues to flirt unhesitatingly with war, we can destroy ourselves. This speech often touches on worldwide unity. Reverend King also cites his faith in God and says the arc of the moral universe bends toward justice. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our cities into a beautiful, symphony of brotherhood and we will be able to speed up the day when every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill will be made low when the rough places will be made plain and the crooked places will be made straight and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together Martin Luther King Jr speaking at Grinnell College in 1967 during a convocation about colleges in a world of change. It's one of his more underrated speeches. Historian Christopher Tinson. He doesn't use the term equality. Tinson says King substitutes the term interdependence for equality. That interdependence really shifts our understanding of what it's meant by utilizing human rights believing in human rights and allocating human rights to to everyone. Christopher Tinson talks about the many themes of King's speech focusing on social justice. Next, on Iowa Public Radio's From the Archives, I'm John Pimble. I must apologize for having to be here on a rather dash-in, dash-out bases. Martin Luther King Jr.'s appearance at Grinnell College is shorter than he planned. Tomorrow morning I will begin a jail sentence. I think this will be my 19th time in jail. He's talking in 1967 about a case from 1963. Christopher Tinson is a historian and department chair of African American Studies at St. Louis University. In 1963, King was arrested in Birmingham, Alabama while protesting segregation. It helps the public to understand how long some of these cases moved through the courts and the fact that many of those cases weren't dropped by the courts throughout the South. In April 1963, the city of Birmingham got a court injunction to stop the protests, but King and others continued. He was arrested and placed in solitary confinement for a week. This is where King writes, the letter from Birmingham jail. It brought national attention to the common practices of segregation in the South. This writing is considered to be one of the reasons Congress passed the Civil Rights Act of 1964. So if I must serve some time as a result of what we did in 1963 for America and for the South, then I don't mind the inconvenience and the agony of spending uh, these five days in jail. King understood legal barriers of segregation 
he was also one to consistently put himself on the line. So he wasn't just asking people to do something that he was not willing to do. And I think that's a very courageous act of leadership. And I think that that's probably what galvanized so much uh, publicity, but also his popularity during this time. This morning, I would like to suggest some of the things that we are challenged to do in order to remain awake through this revolution. It's interesting how he uses the term revolution. It would be tragic for men and women to sleep at this point. For if we sleep at this point, we will destroy ourselves by the misuse and abuse of our own instruments and power. There's a kind of social revolution that's happening that's kind of beyond people's control. And that is, you know, the technology. So much of our modern life can be summarized in that shrewd dictum of the Port Thoreau, improved means to an unimproved end. And now we are challenged more than ever, ever before to remove that and be sure that the means by which we live Never out distance the ends for which we live. Automation was making a lot of labor throughout the United States, particularly in black and urban communities, making that labor redundant. We must be sure now that we keep our moral progress abreast with our scientific and technological progress. And then he's talking about the revolution in militarism or weaponry. Those who are constantly crying increased the bombings of Hanoi, those who say in their secret chambers that we ought to invade North Vietnam, those who want to take on China, apparently aren't concerned about the survival of mankind. So if you have a broader, a global anti-war perspective, then you also are trying to adhere to a, a nonviolent perspective on the ground, you know, in the United States. We've seen the riots in our cities, and I hope that everybody knows my views about nonviolence. I still believe that nonviolence is the most potent weapon available to the Negro in his struggle for freedom and justice in America. But after condemning riots, it is necessary to condemn as vigorously the conditions which bring riots into being. He's trying to get people to understand the actions are just a reflection of the conditions so that you don't just look at folks and say they're just disturbing the peace. They're just stopping traffic. They're just breaking windows just to do it. They're trying to be heard. Right. And so he says a riot is the language of the unheard. So when pressed up against the wall, this is what you get. And what is it that America's failed to hear? It's failed to hear that the plight of the Negro poor has worsened over the last few years. And it's failed to hear that large segments of white society are more concerned about tranquility and the status quo than about justice and humanity. I think he's really trying to, to underscore the, just the, the kind of social unrest that will continue to happen if racial injustice persists. The rioters did not cause slavery. They did not cause unemployment. They did not cause slums. They did not cause segregated schools. These things were caused and brought into existence 
by the policymakers of our society. And so the job is before America to get rid of racial injustice, and anyone not working at it is sleeping through a revolution. King says black people face significant challenges other races do not, largely due to enslavement that was still legal in the United States until June 19, 1865. The Negro is constantly told that he must lift himself by his own bootstraps. And over and over again, over and over again, I get the question, why is it that the Negro is so far behind? Other immigrant groups came to this nation much later and they had problems, and yet they were able to overcome these things because they lifted themselves by their own bootstraps. He's really pointing out that people who used that as an argument to say, pull yourself by bootstraps, were people who really do not want these people to pull themselves up. So he's pointing out the disingenuousness of that perspective. And every time I hear that, I say to myself, it doesn't help the Negro for unfeeling, insensitive persons to say to him that other immigrant groups who came to this country 100 or 150 years ago voluntarily have gotten ahead of the Negro who was brought to this country and chained some 348 or nine years ago. Those people never stop to realize that no other ethnic group has been a slave on American soil. They don't stop to realize that the nation made the Negro's color a stigma. After emancipation, he was left penniless. There he stood illiterate, penniless, with no land to cultivate. It's a cruel jest to say to a bootless man that he ought to lift himself by his own bootstraps. I think the, the power of the I Have a Dream speech just overwhelms his legacy. And so because of that, people, people really stop there. And if you think about if you juxtapose dreaming and staying awake, you know, it's a very clever move to, to emphasize staying awake as opposed to five years earlier where we're talking about dreaming. And I think that this was King's attempt to really put teeth on this idea of social change. So if we are to remain awake through a revolution, we must work hard to deal with these problems. And it really means two things. All that I've said really means from here on in, our loyalties must be ecumenical rather than sectional. And this calls for a worldwide fellowship beyond one's race, beyond one's tribe, beyond one's class, beyond one's nation even. is really a call for an unconditional love for all mankind. God is love. He who hates does not know God. But he who loves has discovered the key that unlocks the door to ultimate reality. He had a strong faith in human possibility that if people 
saw the problems and had the will that they could change those problems. None of this will come about without work, without what he calls deep commitment. And I think that those pieces are really important, especially to an audience, you know, in Iowa that doesn't necessarily have the urban rebellions of a Chicago. And so he's really trying to talk to people who are potential bystanders, but who also could be enlisted in the actual struggle. King wanted to reach as many audiences as he could, whether they were the most familiar audience culturally or whether or not they were remote. They all had a role, he believed, and they all were linked in in the human family, which I think is was a cornerstone of his beliefs as, as a whole. Christopher Tinson, historian and department chair of African-American studies at St. Louis University. This speech from Martin Luther King Jr. is from October 29, 1967. On April 4, 1968, in Memphis, Tennessee, he was assassinated. He was a great force in this country. A few weeks after King's death, there is a two-day memorial symposium at Grinnell. One of the guests is U.S. Representative James Corman. We must change our white attitudes of complacency. Corman is a member of the National Advisory Commission on Civil Disorders, also known as the Kerner Commission. It was created by President Johnson to identify the causes of riots in 1967. I plead with you to see that America does not repeat its history of a century ago. James Corman discusses white racism and potential solutions for preventing future race riots on the next episode of From the Archives. From the Archives is a podcast exploring significant points in history that took place in Iowa through recently rediscovered recordings from Iowa Public Radio's archive. I'm your host, John Pemple. Producing this series with me is Katherine Perkins, Caitlin Troutman, and Rick Brewer. Additional help comes from Matt Searin, Jordan Bonson, Dennis Reese, and Andrea Hansen. Funding comes from the National Endowment for the Humanities. Subscribe to this series and rate it wherever you listen to podcasts. From the Archives is a production of Iowa Public Radio.